All right, episode 21, we are here, Kai Drury with Bomani Cold Buzz, Ken Blewett, Fast Cycle X. Welcome to the show, Kai, you know how we do it, but first off, big shout out, Marin County, California. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, is right. Kai is here, too. We are in Marin County. I was born and raised here. Uh, left for a little bit, but came back home, as they say. Kai, tell us a little bit about uh, Marin County, how you know it, before we jump into the whole Bomani thing. Yeah, absolutely. First off, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure. Um, yeah, big shout out to Marin, obviously. I was born and raised here. Um, huge extended family here. Um, it's a great place to grow up. Uh, went to high school at Redwood, as I'm sure everyone from Marin knows. Went on to go to school in Berkeley. And then uh, for the past, past few years, was out in New York before moving back here due to all the COVID stuff that we're currently experiencing. Um, very thankful to be back here in the beautiful outdoors and nature and be able to get outside a little bit. He's in Fairfax right now, folks. If you know yep. Marin, Fairfax is, uh, is, is, is going a little west. Uh, you know, I could say fun, some funny stuff here, but I'm going to leave it alone. Um, here we go. <laughs> Let's talk about Bomani Cold Buzz. Uh, we're talking coffee. We're talking alcohol. Uh, yes, we're talking a mix of both. How did it start? Who did it start with? When did it start? Give us a little bit of that story. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm one of the three co-founders. My other co-founders, Sam and Amin. Um, the story all really starts... We were all living in New York. Um, we had all moved out there after graduating from school and we're working in finance. Sam and I were doing investment banking and Amin was working at BlackRock. So as I'm sure everyone, a lot of the people listening, you guys definitely know, um, you know how to be busy, 60, 100 hour work weeks. Um, but we're young social guys too. And we're, we'd be coming home from work on a Friday night and being pretty exhausted from the work week, but we're living in New York wanting to go out and uh, we found ourselves frustrated with the lack of healthier options for caffeine plus alcohol, right? To be able to get up and go out. You could do your whole energy drink and vodka, be hung over for two days, putting all the synthetic chemicals and stuff into your body. And we were all big fans of coffee and Sam and I were roommates. So we found ourselves, he had an espresso pod machine and we'd find ourselves making espresso shots and using those to get energy to go out. And we thought, there's got to be a better way of doing this. And um, this sort of idea came about really about two years ago in summer of 2018. Um, and we, that's when whole, the whole hard seltzer craze really came along and like with White Claw and everything like that. And that's sort of when the light bulb went off and we're like, what is the alcohol that they're putting into this that makes it literally taste like you're drinking a sparkling water? Um, and so we decided that that was the right alcohol to use and the idea sort of born, like was bred from that. Um, and the premise really started from we wanted to make a better product and we defined better as a tastier, more convenient, a healthier alternative to everything out there in the market. Um, and so Bomani is 110 calories, it's zero carbs, zero sugar, it's gluten-free, dairy-free, vegan, kosher, keto, the whole nine yards. So everything that they're really the better for you consumer and the modern day consumer is really looking for um, and a convenient and a tastier alternative. Okay, we're gonna get back to the taste because yeah. Uh, if somebody's thinking coffee and they're thinking alcohol, there's something that's marinating in their in their brain about well, what could that actually taste like? But let's let's put that to the side for a sec. Let's talk pre-partying. Mm -hmm. 
Young 20s. Oh, man, do I remember. <laughs> it's why I, that's why I can't drink now. I, I yeah. make posts about stuff like that. You can probably imagine with my personality, I'm all in, baby, in everything I do. So uh, I know and can remember those days. Uh, and uh, luckily, I've been able to shelf most of that or a lot of that. But let's talk about how it started. Instead of, let's say, a Red Bull in vodka, uh, and if you're talking a sugar Red Bull, then you're, that's where a lot of this unhealthy piece of it comes into, right? Absolutely. Plus, I'm assuming it activates, you know, in terms of a, a, a hangover, it's just, it, it presses on that. Mm -hmm. um, when you were taking the shot of coffee or espresso, and then taking what probably an alcohol form, let's say a shot of, of vodka, yeah. um, were you mi physically mixing it at the start or were you just recognizing, wait, I'm going to keep, I've been drinking these separately and now I am going to infuse them? I mean, it was a combination of both. For the most part, when we was the espresso shots, yeah, it would be separate one after the other. But then there was times when we'd find ourselves like we'd get a cold brew coffee and we'd literally add uh, some vodka to it or something like that. And that's sort of a lot more of when the light bulb went off with it. Um, I mean, because people have been mixing caffeine and alcohol for forever. Um, espresso martinis are one of the, like people's favorite drinks. They're one of my favorite drinks. Um, but they're still, in both those cases I was describing and with the espresso martini, they're wildly inconvenient because first off, you have to go get a bunch of different materials to be able to do that. And for the most part, most people don't know how to make one. So you'd always have to have a bartender make you one. So. We wanted to make it a much more convenient option as well. And what alcohol are we talking about in the beginning? Or at least let's now fast forward and start talking taste and, and the infusion. What, what is it? Yeah, absolutely. So the alcohol that we use is um, alcohol from sugarcane. It's a sugar fermented alcohol. That's what goes in White Claw, what goes in Truly and what's been popularized by the industry. Um, so it's sort of the same uh, process as you do for making beer. But instead of wheat, wheat, barley, and hops, you ferment a sugar cane. Um, and it's almost like a cheat code. It leaves it basically flavorless, odorless um, alcohol that's naturally sweet, but there's no actual sugar. So when you infuse it into a cold brew coffee, most people are very shocked because they're expecting, right, an over coffee and alcohol are pretty strong tastes. Um, but it's a super mild um, taste. It almost tastes like you're just drinking um, a really good cold brew. Um, and that was one of the biggest things for us is because coffee is such a wide spectrum of how people like their coffee, right? Um, our chief of product and design, our other co-founder was Amin. Um, he grew up in coffee shops. So he really led the design and the formulation process. But he's on one side of the spectrum. If he had his way, he would like his coffee like out of an oil drum, like diesel sludge as strong as it can get. And I really, honestly, I'm on the other side. I came into the coffee scene relatively when I moved to New York and started working in finance. And it's more cappuccino style with a little sugar and milk and stuff like that. Um, so it's finding the right spectrum where it had enough of that coffee flavor where coffee enthusiasts would be really happy with it, but it wasn't going to overpower you. Now let's talk about getting that started. Um, first off, you, you're using a co-packer of sorts. Yep. Um, and, and it wasn't something you were going to be able to do, let's say, in a small kitchen, even a small commercial kitchen. Where and how did you identify the co-packer? doesn't have to be specific to name. Uh, where and how did you identify? And what were those first steps? What did that look like? Yeah, I mean, 
steps, um, honestly, because none of us had ever started a company before, and also none of us had ever started a company in the alcohol space or the, the CPG space, was the first thing we really did is we compiled a list of like 10 to 20 questions, um, and we went and asked respective experts, either in the industry or just started their own companies and stuff like that, and looked for similarities in their responses. And that was the first thing we did. And then really starting to like research the industry specific, a lot of networking, a lot of outreach. It's just sort of what you realize. It's everything's connections. Um, so doing that. But yeah, like you said, I mean, alcohol plus coffee seems like a, s a simple enough product. Um, but we had to basically recreate an all new international supply chain. Um, the co-packing landscape for this product is slim to none. Uh, we had to create an all new option because of the sterilization process that goes into creating the product. Most cold brew coffees on the market aren't shelf stable. Um, so they need to be refrigerated. And that's basically, I mean, you, first off, you don't want your product to have to be refrigerated. Um, shipping costs, all the different things that go into it. So we had to create a process and find a co-packer that could do it. Um, and so we have a 12 month shelf life, non uh, refrigerated, which is huge in the space. And then also um, we had to find a co-packer that was gonna be able to scale with us, right? We didn't wanna build a startup that like grew into a company. We wanted a company with a startup base and we didn't want it. So it took about a year um, really to get all that set up. And now we have a supply chain that can scale massively. And just for all intents and purposes, we'd be multi-billionaires before they ran out of capacity. Um, so that was the biggest thing. I'm gonna recap that for, for everybody, for the, 80, for, the, for the 18 people who are watching right now. Uh, <laughs> If you want to start something, you should put the plan together first and, and start asking the questions. You're going to save yourself a lot of headache. It's there, You may come to the conclusion that it's it can't be done. Um, and I very rarely can say can't. There just might be those obstacles that are in the way, especially something like this that is really unique. And you just added on something if they heard about being shelf stable, which I, I wouldn't have thought of. Um, that's important. So do your homework there are people out there who want to help um there's some who don't and that's all good too uh find the find the ladder um and 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 then once you have everything put together forge ahead um i'm gonna fast forward then do you raise money at that point so at the beginning we had a single angel investor um who financed it we're thankful to have her. She um, is incredible and brought a, so, brings so much value to the company. And then we're actually in the middle of a capital round right now. Got it. And as far as your first iteration of the product, in my head, I'm seeing um, a eight ounce, 10 ounce, 12 ounce can. Mm -hmm. um, you are packing them, let's say in a six, eight, 12 count master of sorts. Yeah, um, so it's a sleek, it's the slim 12 ounce can, same as like the White Claws and it's been popularized by that. And then it comes in a four pack. I actually have one right here. So okay, like this, cool, beautiful, beautiful design. Thank you. Um, and by the way, he's referencing um, some, uh, I guess you would term them as seltzer alcohol uh, products like a White Claw. If you don't know who White Claw is, uh, that would be odd. Yeah. Um, there's plenty of memes out there enough uh, with that one. Um, so let's now get into uh, commerce of some sorts. Are you selling direct to consumer as your first um, sale uh, or did you pop into those New York uh, opportunities because there's so many of them you could walk down the street and potentially place it in store and really get some feel back 
from the consumer? You know, is this a is this a product that's actually going to sell? Give give us what that looked like. Yeah, um, it's a little bit different. I mean, the alcohol space is a lot different than a lot of the other players in the CPG space because it's a three tier model. Um, so us as the supplier technically have to sell to a distributor who has to sell to a retailer. Um, so the first thing that we were allowed to do was get in place is our our distribution. Um, so we assigned that we actually launched in about six states in the Northeast. Um, we didn't we didn't really anything do anything on a small scale. Um, we went pretty widespread on the Northeast, um, but we launched right in the face of COVID. Uh, we launched literally beginning of 2020 in February. So the next month was March was when everything hit. We've experienced a ton of success. I mean, we started going into our first Wegmans, our Whole Foods in the Northeast, along with a lot of the independents. We've launched out here in California over the last month and a half to a ton of success. Um, the product's really honestly been flying off the shelves. But one thing that you mentioned is um, the DTC platform and the e-commerce space. So in alcohol, you can't sell DTC because of that three-tier model. Um, but we've set up what is to all um, respective aspects a DTC model on our website that allows us now to ship to 31 states. Um, so that's really expanded our reach because we're in eight states currently, but it's expanded our marketing ability and our ability to reach a lot of different consumers all around the United States. And then they're getting that sampling in home where they can't go out right now and do the in-store sampling. They're really in-home sampling is a big thing that we've sort of unlocked. And now they're demanding, um, they're wanting Bomani to come to their states. And that's great data for us to go back to our distributors and our retail partners. Like, look at all the people that are ordering in your state there's a reason that we should be coming here and that you guys should be carrying this product. Good info. Now, how do you distribute currently? Are you using uh, the KHEs of the world or are you using DSD smaller models? DSD, uh, we work with uh, beer distributors because we're technically classified as a beer. Um, and so we work with some of the biggest beer distributors in the country. It's a pretty fragmented market. So in California, for instance, we could have up to eight, nine distributors. Um, it's really a sort of complicated model. And one of the things that we've sort of done to help with that is in all phases of our business, we like to bring in industry veterans or experts who really complement us and bring that knowledge to the table. Um, so one of the guys that we've brought on is a gentleman by the name of Nick Galliardi. He was COO of Monster. He ran the Bat USA. He ran one of the eighth largest beer distributors in the United States. So he's come in and sort of unlocked that puzzle piece and really helps us navigate those waters because if you can't get distribution figured out, especially in the alcohol space, you're gonna be um, shit out of luck for all intensive purposes. Totally get it. Uh, okay, uh, I like it and I also like that it's present day. So you, you guys have been working on this for a couple of years and then really you just launched. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you kind of were in the face of this thing. We are seeing some opening. I know New York is, is, is probably slowest to it uh, as of yet. Uh, being here in Marin, you can start seeing it uh, yeah. a little bit. Restaurants, uh, I think I have a dinner reservation for an outdoor patio on Friday. I'm yeah. pretty pumped about that. Um, with that said, uh, let's close this up in terms of what it looks like. What does Bomani look like over the next 12 months, assuming that things continue to move in, in the way that they have been as far as opening up state to state? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Right now, the biggest thing for us is just really focusing on expanding our distribution in key accounts. Um, because before this, we had a big focus on the on-premise accounts, um, like the music festivals. We had partnerships with some professional sports teams, stuff like that, some big opportunities. 
but now it's really refocusing of how, where are consumers going to get their products right nowadays. And it's really in that grocery store format um, and some other opportunities. So really expanding that. We have meetings, obviously, for the upcoming fall um, resets and schematics and stuff like that. So really driving deep in the areas that we are. California is obviously a main hub for us because that's where we're all located right now. Expanding some distribution on the West Coast, the Colorado, the Arizonas and stuff like that of the world. Um, and just really continuing to establish ourselves as the number one player in the, the hard coffee and the alcohol plus caffeine space. Good for you. Congratulations getting here. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a very tough road um, and especially in um, the category you're in, of course, because it is, it, it's, it's a newer version of something, um, yep. which, you know, makes it even more difficult. So um, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, happy to, to uh, hear you're from Marin. Uh, heard you were a baller. A baller. I, I, could, I could play a little bit. I heard you were a baller in high school, uh, a little bit in college too, but we'll, we'll, that'll be for the next episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks, man. I appreciate, appreciate you coming on. Uh, Ken, we're going to talk about Fast Cycle X now. Give it to us. I know you're helping brands. Uh, you can help them in, in, in a bunch of different ways. Give it to us. Who are you helping and how are you helping them? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, thanks for having me on for creating this platform for people to, to share knowledge. Um, yeah, so I love helping brands unlock growth in fiercely competitive categories. I'm a former big, big company guy, spent about six years at Procter & Gamble and really used that time to learn how do brands become leaders within their, their playing area or their space? What are the levers they can pull? Either strategic growth, um, you know, new products, line extensions, or even managing the, the in-market business. And what I've done for the last two years is work with smaller brands to take those same principles and just translate them into actionable steps you can take. I mean, the wonderful thing about levers is, you know, they, they don't change whether you're large or small. It's all pretty much the same. It's just what matters to you and will provide the greatest growth. Um, you know, you, you, most people are emerging brands that you talk to, I think. And I, what I've seen with emerging brands is that founders, founder-led brands are really great at coming up with that initial product and really great at getting a foothold in that initial category. And things can sometimes start to go sideways as they look to expand beyond sort of that safe space or launch line expansions or launch products. And so that tends to be the area that I can provide a lot of value. Um, just two quick examples. Uh, one was an outdoor recreation company. They, de they developed a, a battery powered vehicle for kids to ride on. And they were in distribution with that and they were launching a line extension and they got word, um, you know, we don't really think your line extension makes sense, you know, from a category buyer standpoint. So they brought, they brought me in and, and, you know, what we quickly identified is there was a mismatch between what they thought was valuable and what end users thought was valuable. So we did some, some fast cycle iterative studies. And at the end of the day, we're able to update their messaging, their positioning, their packaging with that line extension and triple the purchase intent. And then more importantly, go back to the category buyer and say, these are the reasons why we're going to drive sales for you. And, and they use that to get in distribution. Um, one other quick example, and I'll, then I'll wrap up. Yeah, please. Um, I worked with another emerging brand uh, that was looking to expand uh, distribution into brick and mortar. It was a sports drink. And um, what they quickly you know, got feedback from category buyers is you're premium priced, and we think your price point is too high for distribution. So we'd love to have you, but you're, you're going to have to cut your price by about 25%. Um, and as I worked with them, it became very clear that if they wanted to be a profitable brand to be able to invest in their brand, 
they couldn't really support that price cut. They couldn't make it up in sort of the growth or the savings and cost from producing at higher scale. And so in five days, they were in the middle of discussions, was able to turn around a fairly robust pricing study and uh, was able to go back to the category buyer and say, you know, not only have we built the brand that can command this premium price point, but it's actually going to, relative to everything else that's on your shelf today, increase your overall category price and increase your profitability. So again, was able to kind of better control that conversation with category buyers at this key inflection point as they're looking to grow and was able to get them in distribution at, at um, you know, two different key retailers at, at the price point they wanted to profitably grow. So, um, so yeah, so that's kind of what I do. There's a couple examples. Um, you know, if you're an emerging brand that's looking to expand, please reach out to me and, uh, you know, I can help think through some of the levers you can pull or, you know, maybe put together a way to work more closely. I like it. Yeah, I'll leave just one note. Uh, because some people get messaged or, you know, and I, and I always premise it with, I don't know much. I, I'm doing the same thing you're doing. Um, I've been punched in the face uh, so many times over the last few years that I can provide you know that experience um i do say the number thing is is needs to be like number one uh not just knowing your numbers that's kind of like generic in term it's if you are pricing out your products at, at let's say just even your cogs like what are you paying all in versus what are you selling there is this idea that yeah but if i get to scale i'm gonna save an extra well you have to actually get to scale, yeah. you know, and that may take a long time and you will have run out of cash by then. Um, and so I, I, again, it's just one of these comments I make, whether well, it's try to get the best pricing now, like, like, like actually get your margins corrected out the gate. Um, you know, and again, that's in hindsight, just my last little thing on it. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, Kai, Ken, I appreciate having you on. Uh, I hope to talk to you soon. I hope uh, much success to your businesses. Thank you so much for having us, Mark. Oh, appreciate it.